0: Talking Point with Sarah Carey on News Talk 106-108. Oliver Sears was born in London to parents Monica and Ronald Sears and he was the youngest of their three boys. His parents were both Polish Jews and their family's survival of the Holocaust left its mark on Oliver and his brothers. Oliver began a distinguished career when he opened an art gallery in Kinsale in the 1980s. He moved to Dublin in 2000 where he flourished as an art dealer culminating in the opening of a new gallery on Molesworth Street just up from the Doll, which hosts several of Ireland's most important contemporary artists. Next week a very special exhibition by the Belfast painter Colin Davidson called Jerusalem opens there and I'll tell you more about that afterwards. Oliver's married to Catherine Punch and they live in Dublin and these are Oliver Sears' Musical Heirlooms.
1: I, I was very very lucky, I, I grew up in a house um, where both parents were immersed in classical music. There was one particular recording um, in the house of Emil Gilels playing um, number four. It's so quiet, um, it's so um, unsuspecting, um, moving just uh, unlike the the drama that you would expect or that we we kind of associate with beethoven so when whenever i whenever i hear that opening i tend to go off somewhere <laughs> I was born in London in 1968. Um, my uh, parents are Jewish, Polish Jews. Um, my father was actually born in London, but his uh, father was born in Poland and his mother was born in London, but of Russian Polish extract. and. My mother has a completely different story. Um, She was born in uh, Łódź, an industrial town west of Warsaw, southwest of Warsaw, in February 1939. It was a very, very bad time to be born there, uh, Jewish. And she had an extraordinary childhood. Uh, they, They came from a very rich family. Her father had a stocking factory, which he had inherited, and they, 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 were, they were very, very wealthy. And uh, at, so, at age 32, um, he is uh, arrested by ostensibly Polish police, but uh, accompanied by the Gestapo, and, uh, and disappears. And no one knows what happens to him. What's interesting, is that given the circumstances of the war and what happened to Jews, the fact that he disappeared was the first stroke of luck. Her mother picked up her infant daughter, my mother, because there was a rumour that he had been taken to Warsaw. And so she takes what belongings she can carry and heads... Uh, with my mother to Warsaw in search of her husband most of the Jews who remained in in Łódź were uh, rounded up and put in the Łódź Ghetto the survivors of the Łódź Ghetto literally number I think under 10 under 10 people so they would have been murdered We, we are talking about degrees of perversion but that was the first stroke of luck. In fact, uh, I only discovered what happened to him probably less than 10 years ago, messing around on the internet. Nobody, Nobody in the family knew. I found out because Yad Vashem, which is the um, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, has a database that you can search for lost loved ones. So I put in Pavel Rosenfeld and up come two testimonies. One by his wife, my grandmother, just outlining who he was, uh, where he lived. But the second testimony, which was much more interesting, was by my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, who outlines that he was taken to a particular place and that he died that year, so 1939. So I put that particular place into Google, the Google machine, and that particular place was a notorious police headquarters stroke detention camp and i put in the date he was arrested on the 10th of november and there is an episode described uh, by a witness of uh, 30 jews being arrested on this date and taken to this place. Um, Something like 14 were released the following day. The balance were taken to um, Woods, where they were murdered. So I can't say 100%, but I can say probably 99%. That's what happened. They they were looking for him and hoping he had survived uh, the war, um, but he had been murdered the next day. So my mother essentially spent um, the war years on the run and uh, in some cases she ended up on one occasion she ended up in the Warsaw Ghetto, not a good place to find yourself because uh, unless you could escape from the ghetto, um, you were deported on a, on a train, to usually to Auschwitz. And in fact, that's what happened to her. She was put on a train with her mother and my grandmother had bribed a guard to open the door as the train moved off and she was thrown out and her mother uh, jumped out after her and off they went on the run again. They made it back to uh, their apartment in Łódź. And being back in Poland after, just after the war, being back at, at their home, uh, was a very dangerous time still, because unbelievably, with the, with the Nazis vanquished, the Poles kept on murdering Jews. This was absolutely terrifying. that the best thing to do was to try and get exit papers, which were arranged and, in fact, they had an onward ticket to South America. But when they arrived in London, my grandmother met a Polish Jewish dentist who unbelievably had been sent to a dental conference to London in August 1939. This poor man never saw another family member again, not one. He he left a uh, a pregnant wife, uh, I think five brothers and a sister. So you can imagine uh, they had an awful lot in common and they got married um, in 1948. And perhaps their sole purpose in life was to raise my mother. Um, you know, in, in terms of an affirmation of life, uh, uh, rescuing uh, a child from, um, from hell and um, giving her what love they could and protection they could, um, gave them, gave them an, a renewed purpose. But my mother, um, during one stage of the war, had to spend, for for about three or four months, had to spend the daylight hours hiding under a table. And one of the most extraordinary things about that is that she was trained as a tiny infant not to cry, not to express herself, and she invented an imaginary world under her table, kids, given any situation, behave like children they 're inventive, they have imaginations they 're curious, they do all sorts of things because the world is brand new and she was told that basically there was a a, a, a German monster in the room, and that she would be eaten if she she came out and uh, Amazingly, uh, her mother would come back. She, she, was, she got employment. She, she would come back uh, after the working day and she would give uh, my mother these, these particular fudge sweets called krufki. And krufki is just Polish for cows. And amazingly, years later in London, we had a housekeeper who one day went to the local shops and, and bought a bag of mixed sweets. Um, among them were kruvki. And uh, of course, uh, when my mother saw those, she burst into tears. But uh, I- extraordinary, the, 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 the symbolism. Um, but you know something, um, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. Um, this, is a, this is a good news story. You know, I feel that many, many countries during a period of time adopted a Nazi attitude to Jews. So lots and lots and lots of people wished I was never born. So there is a sense, there is a very primeval sense I I bear of triumphalism. The Thousand Year Reich Where is it? I'm here.
0: thanks to Oliver Sears. We talked for a long time yesterday. We could have played so much more. That's all we had time for. The music he selected, which you heard at the beginning of the piece was Beethoven's fourth piano concerto played by Emil Gielels, a Russian Jew who is thought to be one of the greatest pianists of the 20th century and his own story is fascinating too. Now, following on from Oliver's family history, he's collaborated with the Belfast portrait artist Colin Davidson to create an exhibition at his gallery on Molesworth Street. It opens on Thursday. They went to Israel in January where Davidson painted 12 people from different sides of the divide in Jerusalem. But when you see the collection, you don't know who's who. So the challenge is to look at the subjects as people without knowing which side they're on. I think it's really intriguing. And you can read more about that in the Sunday Times Culture magazine tomorrow in a piece by John O'Sullivan. So that's it for today. Eva Breen produced, Jane Fallon Griffin assisted, and Alan Regan is our faithful multitasker. And thanks to them, to my guests, and thank you for listening.